Jonah 3, 1 through 4, 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from his violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how he turned from their evil ways, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. If you spend any time watching the news, and it's getting harder and harder to do that for me, or I don't know how many of you have Twitter accounts, but you can't help but notice the toxic political environment that has infected our society. Adults who should know better are grouping people into categories calling for violence against certain groups and individuals, all because one group's beliefs are different from another. There's such hatred and and violence directed toward other human beings. Mass shootings, we we hear them all the time now. Individuals go around killing people they don't even know because something didn't go right in their own life. I mean, it's, it's, it's really crazy in our society today. And I think the question that, that we need to ask ourselves is, is how, how should you think and react to those who direct their animosity toward you? Just because you don't think the same way as they do. How should you think and act toward those who want to harm you or mistreat you? What, what should your attitude be toward people like that? I know Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them, but I also know that David asked God to avenge his enemies. And if you're ever faced with something like that, it could very well be a defining moment for you. Last week I, I defined a defining moment. As a moment in your life when you have to choose or, or make a decision, and that decision has the potential to change your life forever. The prophet Jonah, as you, as you heard the reading by Luke a moment ago, is a perfect study for responding to defining moments. 
And I, I know everyone knows who Jonah is and what happened to him, but it's one of the more familiar books in the Bible. But in, in this short study, he has at least three, in my mind, defining moments. And the first de- defining moment really introduces the book of Jonah. Jonah 1, 1 and 2. The Lord spoke his word to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because I see the evil things they do. So Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria and was located on the Tigris River across from the city of of what is known today as Mosul in Iraq. And the Lord commissioned Jonah here to go to that city and warn the residents to turn from their evil acts. You know, most of the preaching and and prophesying that God uh, delivered through the prophets were intended really for the Jewish people But there were also prophecies and preaching delivered to foreign nations and peoples as well. I mean, besides Assyria, there were prophecies directed toward Egypt and Edom and Moab and Amnon and Philistia and Cush and and other enemies of the Jews. And why would God even bother with the others? Because God cares about everyone. And we can certainly be thankful for that, right? Uh, So when God told Jonah to go and preach and prophesy to Nineveh, it wasn't a unique circumstance, but it was a defining moment for Jonah. Jonah chose not to go. Instead, he chose to flee by boarding a ship and sailing in the opposite direction. So, you know, you you read that and you, you think, well, Jonah obviously didn't know God very well here. First of all, to willingly disobey God is always going to have consequences. And secondly, to think that he could run away from God was pretty foolish. His decision resulted in some rather troubling events that occurred for him. While he was on the ship, he became caught in this terrible storm created by God, was thrown overboard, swallowed by a huge fish, and was in that fish's belly for three days. That's a true story. Inside the belly of of that fish, Jonah began to pray. I've prayed in some different places before, but never in the belly of a fish. And I'm hoping I I never do. After three days, God caused the fish to spit him out on land alive. Again, this is a true story. So God gave Jonah... A second chance. In chapter 3, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, saying about the same thing he said the first time. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I, have, that I give you. And so this is, in one sense, a second defining moment for Jonah. God has graciously given him a second chance to deliver the message he tried to avoid the first time. And I think most of us would agree that second chances are a blessing. Uh, For example, we wouldn't be here today if God hadn't given the world a second chance through Noah and his family. Peter, after denying Christ, was given a second chance to affirm and honor his Lord, and he took advantage of it. Sometimes, however, God doesn't give a second chance You know, Israel's adults, after 
being in the, or after refusing to enter the promised land because of their lack of faith, perished during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So, so God sometimes gives second chances and sometimes he doesn't. Fortunately for Jonah, God gave him a second chance to get it right. And after being in the belly of a fish for three days, it's no surprise that Jonah had a change of heart. And this time he chose wisely and went to the city of, of Nineveh. And in chapter 3, Jonah delivers the message God gave him. And the message was a warning that if the people of Nineveh don't repent within 40 days, they will be overthrown. Jonah must have been a rather effective prophet because, number one, God gave him a second chance to do what he asked him to do. And number two, the whole city of Nineveh repented, including the king and his administration. And because of their repentance, God repented and did not overthrow the city. Jonah, however, was not happy about God's repentance. In fact, he was angry, as you heard the reading, according to chapter 4, verse 1. And his anger was directed at God. At God. For this, be gracious and merciful. Jonah said in verse 2, that's why I quickly ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a God who is kind and shows mercy. You don't become angry quickly and you have such great love. I knew you would choose not to cause harm. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? So God responded by asking Jonah if anger was the right response to God's repentance. And Nineveh's repentance. And then tried to help Jonah understand why his anger was not the correct response. One commentator indicated that Jonah's anger may have stemmed from his knowledge of the prophecies of Amos and Hosea about how Assyria was going to be the nation that destroys Israel. And we don't know that for sure, but, but it makes sense. Or it could be that, that he just didn't understand why God would be so merciful toward a people that were not God's people. They were sinners. So the Lord decided to help Jonah understand why he chose not to punish Nineveh by creating a little illustration for Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4 verse 5, after Jonah delivered that message that God gave him, he went just outside the city, built this small shelter for himself to wait and see what God was going to do. And this must have occurred during the hot summer months because in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4 it reads, The Lord made a plant grow quickly up over Jonah, which gave him shade and helped him to be more comfortable. And Jonah was very thankful to have the plant. Verse 7, But the next day when the sun rose, God sent a worm to attack the plant so that it died. And Jonah was angry that the plant died. God then sent an east wind that made it even hotter. It was so hot, Jonah became weak and extremely uncomfortable, such that he wanted to die. And God asked Jonah if he thought it was right for Jonah to be angry about the plant dying. That gave him that shade. And Jonah responded, it's right for me to be angry. I'm so angry I could die. Have you ever been that angry? I... 
I've been angry enough a few times that it kept me awake at night, but I, I've never been so angry I wanted to die. I mean, that's some serious anger here that Jonah is experiencing. Have you ever been so angry at someone that in the back of your mind you hoped they would suffer in some way? I have. I'm not proud of it, but I have. Jonah is an example of how the Jews failed to understand why God chose them to be his people. They thought they were chosen because they were special. When in fact they were chosen in order to bring the whole world to God. There aren't many books in the Bible that end with a question. But the book of Jonah ends with a question. God said to Jonah in chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. You are so concerned about that plant. Even though you did nothing to make it grow. It appeared one day and died the next. Then shouldn't I show concern for the great city Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who do not know right from wrong, and many animals too. I mean, and that's where the book ends. We weren't given the privilege of knowing Jonah's response, if he had one, but, but I, I, I see it as another defining moment for Jonah here. God wanted Jonah to understand that this, his, his attitude was inappropriate toward God's mercy for the Assyrian people in Nineveh. Uh, author Donald Baker paraphrases God's response to Jonah in this way. Let's analyze this anger of yours, Jonah. It represents your concern over your beloved plant. But what did it really mean to you? Your attachment to it couldn't be very deep, for it was here one day and gone the next. Your concern was dictated by self-interest, not by genuine love. You never had the devotion of a gardener. If, if you feel as bad as you do, what would you expect a gardener to feel like who tended a plant and watched it grow only to see it wither and die? That's how I feel about Nineveh, only much more so. All those people... All those animals, I made them. I have cherished them all these years. Nineveh has cost me no end of effort. And it means the world to me. Your pain is nothing compared to mine when I contemplate their destruction. You know, twice God said through the prophet Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. You know, there are several psalms in which David prays to God for the destruction of his enemies. One is in Psalm 74, 10 and 11. He says, How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Well, one day, the wicked will be destroyed. But let's not forget that you and I were part of the wicked at one time. You and I were God's enemies at one time. And I'm sure you feel like I do, extremely grateful 
that God gave me, a Gentile, a chance to turn from evil. So I think this moment, this this defining moment for Jonah is also in a sense kind of a defining moment for you and me. How do you respond? How do you think about those who are evil? Toward those who try to take advantage of you. Toward those who think very differently than you do. Toward those who show contempt for you. Or just don't love you at all. Toward those who try to do you or your family harm. Do you, uh, do you ask God to pass judgment on them? Like David did? Or, or, or to have mercy on them? Like Jesus did? Betty Chapman was... Uh, barred by a federal judge from attending Mar Vista Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California forever. Capping off a decades-long effort on her part to sabotage the ministry of the pastor. The pastor refused to perform a wedding ceremony for a friend of Mrs. Chapman's, and, and she took it personally. And she went on this campaign of terrorism that included deliberately singing off-key in a loud voice during the worship services... Now, I've kind of noticed... No, I won't go there. (laughs) And making faces at the pastor while he preached. Now, don't get any ideas. I don't see that well, so you can make all all the faces you want. You know, it's just... It's the tendency of most people when they are unjustly treated to retaliate or... You know, just to say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. or, Or we take the attitude that we just don't care what happens to them. I mean, is that the right response for us? I mean, we need to remember or understand that every person has been created in the image of God. Every person is precious to God. So if they are precious to God, should they not be precious to you and me? We're called to show concern for every individual, no matter who they are or what they've done to you or or anybody else. Because God loves that person just as much as he loves you and me. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, whatever you would do for yourself, you are to do for your neighbor. Jesus also teaches you to love enemies and do good to them. You know, so neighbor and enemy encompasses pretty much everybody. There's a book by Robert, written by Robert Putnam. I, I think I've shared excerpts of it before with you titled Bowling Alone. It's a book about social change in America since the 1960s. And, and here's an excerpt. Actually, since the 1990s. No one is left from the Glen Valley, Pennsylvania Bridge Club who can tell us precisely when or why the group broke up. Even though its 40-odd members were still playing regularly as recently as 1990, just as they had done for more than half a century. The shock in the Little Rock, Arkansas, Sertoma Club, however, is still painful. In the mid-1980s, nearly 50 people had attended the weekly luncheon to plan activities to help the hearing and speech impaired 
But a decade later, only seven regulars continued to show up. Beginning in the 1990s, we started to become socially detached from one another in this country. And I really believe it's contributed to our current political divisions. And part of that is due to how mobile our society has become. Uh, people used to live in the same community almost all their lives, and, and that doesn't happen much anymore. I mean, Kim and I have moved four or five times. The problem is, is the less frequent we are together, the more socially detached from one another we become. And I think we're seeing the effects not only in our society, but also in the church. In this congregation, the people with whom you have the closest relationships and the people with whom you are in contact, are the people with whom you are in contact with the most. And when you engage with one another less frequently and are not as intimately connected, it makes it more difficult to build close relationships with one another. Pretty hard to do that when you're only here once a week for a couple of hours. It's so ironic, isn't it, that in this day of social media and, and having a phone in our pocket and the internet, we seem to be drifting farther apart from one another. You know, God's concerns for people to repent and be saved really are your concerns, or at least they should be. God is concerned about the lost. He's concerned about your neighbor. He's concerned about your enemy. He's concerned about every person you see, speak to, or come into contact with. So we need to be concerned about them also. God is also concerned about the poor and the oppressed. And so we need to be concerned about the poor and the oppressed. And concern is not just a feeling. You know, it's, it's an action. God even mentioned his concern in Jonah for the animals in the last verse of Jonah. You know, it, it's just an example that God loves his entire creation, which includes mankind, animals, and the land. And so we need to be careful how we treat all three of those. So your defining moment, like Jonah's, is, is whether or not to help others know Jesus, regardless of who they are, regardless of how they treat you, regardless of what they look like, or what they believe. Should you not care about people who do not know Jesus, or do not believe in Jesus, regardless of their ethnicity, their religion, their feelings for you? And I know you know the answer to that. And I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm just asking the question. Should you not care about people regardless of who they are? Now, every one of you in here would say you care. But, you know, of course, as we all know, actions speak louder than words. And God really wants actions. Jesus didn't die just for you or me. He died for every person. He doesn't love you more than he loves anyone else. He wants every person to be saved, and you signed up to participate in that effort. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefits that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So that's, that was Jonah's defining moment. I don't know how he responded, but I, I hope you'll respond in the appropriate way. Jesus said to Thomas, you know, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
You control your own destiny by the choices that you make in life. And I encourage you today, I encourage you to choose Jesus. I encourage you to make him your Lord and Savior. I encourage you not to wait. I I encourage you to do it as soon as you possibly can. As soon as you have the opportunity. And if you're not a Christian here today, this is an opportunity for you. Don't let it go by. Let's stand as we sing. There's not a friend.